Jets fandom has found itself in a pickle. Here are the rules of this pickle. This torturous atmosphere. You either have to love Adam Gase or you have to hate him. There is no in between. I mean, look on Twitter. Go on Facebook. Go on Reddit. Go on YouTube. All of the areas that are present, and all the areas, might I add, that host some of the least knowledgeable Jets fans there are in existence. You know, you come across a real smart Jets fan, usually they don't have Twitter or Facebook. Well, a lot of people have Facebook. They're not active on Facebook, in the groups what have you. But how has it gotten to this point where those are the rules, where you have to be all in or all out? It doesn't make sense. Well, most of the explanation why it's happened is due to the outrageous crap that is spewed in the media and on social media dividing the two sides and of course one side is overwhelmingly uh, stronger has more people in it than the other side the anti gase is the problem narrative it's flat out ridiculous early in the year gase was being compared to rich kotite come on this team was one in seven if this man was Kotite and he took a 1-7 team that's battled all the injuries and in mono with his quarterback, they would have never recovered. Instead, they've gone 5-2 since that point. Give the man a little credit. Now, last spring, I was one who wanted both McCagnan and Bowles gone. This is actually last winter, a year ago today but last spring I was one who wanted a different coach Gase was not my choice I wanted the guy in Green Bay even though no coach has ever coached two different teams to Super Bowl championships um, another Green Bay guy came the closest in Holmgren with Seattle when he lost to the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger's epic Terrible QB performance winning uh, night. But McCarthy was my first choice. Gase wasn't on my list. But can, can we be fair? Can we look at this team and understand how bad it is? The propaganda that has you thinking this team is more talented than, say, the Dolphins or the Redskins... 
with the Bengals is just not correct. When you look up and down the lineup, the talent with the injuries, the injuries factor into it. The talent just isn't there. And the play in the trenches is the worst among the worst in the NFL. So give the man credit. Stop being a moron. And stop blaming, taking the easy, low-hanging fruit and blaming everything on the head coach. It's just, it's just not reality, folks. He is what he is. He's an under 500 coach. He had Ryan Tannehill in Miami. Guess how many games Ryan Tannehill played for Gase? Exactly half. He was injured for exactly half of the games played for Gase. If you include the playoff game, I think it's right under 50%. No head coach is going to be able to develop a quarterback when in three seasons he missed half his games to injury. That's just someone being fair. That's not someone making excuses. That's someone being fair. They bring up Tannehill's stats this year, how he's flourishing this year. Uh, Again, look at the stats. It's not that much different. You know, you could play the other way around. You could play Jarvis Landry. What's happened to Jarvis Landry since he left Gase? Jarvis Landry has done nothing. It's a silly game. And don't get trapped into that game. That's what the point of this is. Instead... Do your X's and O's. Do your homework. Look at the film. Break down certain things. Understand that it travels so much deeper than Adam Gase. So, 5-2. and two, They've beaten Cupcakes, Raiders, and the last game, obviously, are the two uh, games that weren't Cupcakes. You know, 500 teams. And, uh, yeah, Steelers, it's already Thursday. A little late to be talking about the Steelers, but because of the holiday break, let's do it. It was an ugly affair. And everybody discussed it afterwards. They fully admitted it. Gase even, in the the press conference afterwards, he even admitted, we knew it was going to be an ugly affair going in. The Jets put up just 259 yards to the the Steelers' 260. I mean, folks, it was ugly, ugly, ugly. Jets only picked up 14 first downs. Steelers had 16. Uh, seven passing first downs for the Jets. That's it. Only seven. Five rushing. 11 for the Steelers to the air. Three rushing. Jets, O-line, It was one of their better O-line performances of the year against a solid defense. That's encouraging. Beecham played well. You know, Dupree and Watt, the Steelers have two excellent bookend defensive ends, something the Jets desperately need if they want to take this defense from good to scary. And the Jets O-line did well. Darnold was not harassed as per usual. Um, Steelers did, what was the final sack, number four? It was four, so it was a little higher than you want. But when I say it was a good O-line performance, I mean in comparison to what they normally put out there. They also ran the ball for 4.3 yards per clip. What did Le'Veon finish with, 72 or 75, something like that? Um, listen, 
it is what it is. They, they, they're not a running team. Uh, they're, they're dead last in the NFL in yards per carry. They're a terrible running team. Le'Veon Bell is still, what, 7th or 8th in the top 10 in rush attempts. So to ever get on Gase, and this podcast is going to keep coming back to Gase because that's the topic. To ever get on Gase for not running the ball enough with Bell is a stupid thing to cite. There have been wins this year when they didn't run the ball much at all. Against Cincy, the criticism was, why didn't you run to the outside? The Bengals can't defend the edge on defense. Well, guess what? The Jets can't run to the outside. They're terrible. Bell is not a fast running back. He's a slow running back. He's an in-between-the-tackles runner. He prefers the counters, the split zones, anything misdirection in between the tackles. He doesn't any... You know, he doesn't hit the hole either, which is another topic. But anything outside, outside zone, stretch, pitch, forget about it. Le'Veon Be- Pittsburgh knew better than to run a pitch with Le'Veon Bell uh, when they had him. It doesn't work. You can't take advantage of an other team's uh, deficiency if you also have the same deficiency that plans to attack it. Against the Steelers, the first drive, again, more of the same. The first drive resulted in good stuff. And to be honest, that's sort of a positive for Gase. The first drive is usually scripted. Gase scripts the plays. Um, offensive play calls usually script the first 14-15 plays of the game. And this year, that first drive is turning into good things for the Jets offense. It's after that first drive when it doesn't work out. Does Gase not adjust? Is Darnold not doing things based on what he sees pre-snap? You know, this league, to be a franchise quarterback, you have to... See, Darnold has all the tools physically. Has everything physically. Great arm, mobility, a sense for the pocket, can throw in the run, can improvise. What makes a true franchise quarterback in this league is what's between the ears taking advantage of certain matchups, seeing the field, knowing that you could throw it to three or four different guys and none of those three or four different guys are dead on any play. What's between the ears and how you take advantage of the defense and what they're doing is how you become a franchise quarterback. And those are the inconsistencies Sam Darnold is battling right now. He didn't have a good game against Pittsburgh. He missed a lot of open guys. And we're going to go through some film tonight, tomorrow, that'll show you that he reads the safeties very well off the bat. But oftentimes when he reads those safeties, he wants to take advantage of the soft spot against the safeties. And that limits him. He doesn't look at other open targets that could come open. He locks onto that initial read after he looks at the safeties. For example, if he's single high, if the defense is single high, he'll look down the seam for the soft spot. Single high, three deep, what have you, he'll look down the seam. That resulted in the Robbie Anderson touchdown. Third and nine for New York. Darnold steps, throws, looking for it all. Robbie Anderson, touchdown Jets! What a grab! 
in between Hayden and Edmonds, and Darnold squeezes it in there. Well, he took advantage of the fact that Anderson is 6'3", and it's got real good hops here. And we'll talk about hands right over the top of Edmonds before Joe Hayden can get over there. Spectacular catch. He gets that elbow down just before he hits the white mark. Anderson has been on a tear. Pittsburgh was single high. Turned out it wasn't a cover three. It wasn't a three deep. The free safety actually walked down into a lurk, robber position. But once he saw that single high, Gase moved Robbie Anderson to the inside on a seam to beat that single high, three deep, and Donald knew right away where he was going, and it worked. When he sees two deep, he's going to look to the middle. He's going to look to the sideline. He wants a post. Sometimes he locks onto that too much, depending on what the safety does, and it hurts him, and he misses wide open uh, underneath throws. We'll see as we go along with the film today, tomorrow, um, and Buffalo. Once the season ends, I'll have more time to do film. But Darnold, you know, didn't have the greatest day. Um, and, and it was ugly. It was a throwback game in which both head coaches played like it was the 1980s. You know, Jets defense played well, save for one play. Which which was inexcusable at the end of the half. Uh, Darnold, here it is, fifth, finished 16 for 26, 183 yards and a touchdown. No picks. And that one touchdown to Robbie Anderson. Greg Williams, if there was a star of the game, it was Greg Williams. Without any legitimate edge rushers, pass rushers, uh, without Mosley... Without Jamal and Brian Poole the last two games, what he did was he had to change his identity, the defensive identity, completely. Over the season, it grew into an identity that revolved around his strength. The two safeties and Brian Poole, the nickelback. It's a strange way to play defense from the outside in as opposed to the inside out. Inside out is traditionally the way you do it. On both sides, because if you're dominating and you're getting the better of your opponent on the inside, it makes everyone behind them that much better. From the outside in, it doesn't really work. I mean, you could cover guys forever. If your idea is to cover guys forever, and that way you can get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't work. Deion Sanders can't cover guys forever in today's league. The rules are just in a way where it's impossible. But what Greg Williams did, he knew he couldn't play man defense. He knows he doesn't have the corners. So zone, disguise zone, and a lot of blitzing with the DBs. There are oftentimes where the Jets don't even blitz. They're rushing four players, and it'll be Jamal Adams, Poole, and two defensive linemen. Or a lineman and a linebacker. His four-man rushes could come from anywhere on the field. So that's kind of what his personality on defense morphed into. When Adams and Poole got hurt against Miami, he flipped it. He said, we're not going to play aggressively. I mean, our, our mindset will still be aggressive, but we're not going to strategically play aggressively. We're not going to blitz. We're going to play a lot of too deep. We're going to play a lot of lag coverage. And we're going to bend, but don't break. You could see it on the first drive immediately. 
and it resulted in a lot of yards for Miami and Ryan Fitzpatrick running like crazy, scrambling like crazy, but no touchdowns, seven field goals. It worked. Sam Ficken kicks a field goal to win it. Against Baltimore, didn't matter what they did. You know, edge rushers, it's not just for rushing the passer. In the NFL, you, you got to have edge guys who are agile, who, who could move, who could play in space, because guess what? They have to defend the run as well. And against Lamar Jackson, against a read option scheme, Greg Roman's scheme, it doesn't matter if your edge rushers are playing it perfectly or not. The edge rushers are responsible for the quarterback. Against Baltimore, you saw Basham. Uh, he, he didn't play Henry. Henry Anderson was playing edge all year because Greg Williams had no one else. Against Lamar, he had enough sense to put him back on the inside and only use the smaller guys like Basham or Jordan Jenkins on the edge. Maybe Kyle Phillips a time or two, but he doesn't belong out there either on, on a real good defense. I like Kyle Phillips, but he's he belongs on the inside. He's sort of a tweener. Against Baltimore, Greg Williams had no shot. Without Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams was the only wild card that could possibly make it competitive. Without Jamal Adams, without Poole, forget about it. And Marcus May, by the way, what he tried to do, last-ditch effort, was put May at strong safety and pull and uh, Daryl Roberts at free safety. May found out how tough it is to play strong safety in this league as a superstar. You got to do everything. You got to play run support on the edge. You got to blitz, man coverage, flat zone responsibility, too deep half responsibility, which May is great at, um, and and just didn't work. And even though you could coach up those edge players perfectly, and if they stick with the quarterback through the entire play against the zone read, it doesn't matter. If they're not quick enough to handle a Lamar Jackson off the edge, or at least, and when I say handle, I mean not make the tackle, but do the right thing in which you allow your defense to catch up and rally, If they're not quick enough, if they don't possess those skills, there's nothing you could do. That's a personnel issue. So getting Adams and Poole back for Pittsburgh allowed Greg Williams to go back to the Jets' original uh, identity that they morphed into, you know, once once October, mid-October hit. And, you know, for the most part, it worked. Now, don't be under any delusions. Hodges... Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph were not Joe Montana out there. Johnny Unitas was not torching the MetLife Stadium crowd, which, by the way, a couple people said they thought it was 75% Steeler fans. Um, I would say it was 50-50, maybe 55-60% Steeler fans from up top where I was. But I'd probably call it 50-50. There were a ton of Steeler fans there. It was as neutral a field as you could have in an NFL game. So defensive defensive game. Um, Darnold even said it in the locker room afterwards. You know he he knew it was gonna it was a dogfight. Here here was his quote: "It was a dogfight," and he enjoyed it. Well, come to the end of the game, an interesting situation popped up where Gase Pittsburgh still had two all three timeouts left. Gase has shown in, in the past that. He's willing to be aggressive. Against Dallas, up points. He could have ran the ball three times. He didn't. 
he went for the throat. He opened up with two passes. I think both went to Crowder. Well, the first one went to Crowder, and the second one was a fade from the slot, like a back shoulder uh, fade from the slot to Robbie Anderson that set up the field goal that eventually helped beat Dallas. Here, Gase said, no. I know it's NFL 2019. I know you could never rely on your defense to win games, but Gase just didn't. He trusted his defense to a point, and he didn't trust Darnold and his offense enough to throw the ball once on first or second down. And I disagree with it. I don't care if your quarterback is really struggling. You got a young guy. You got to, in this league, you got to go for the throat. You can't rely on your defense up six with under two minutes left. Deep in your own territory. Can't do it. But Gase did it. And it worked out. Give him credit. Ran it three times, three timeouts. Lachlan Edwards, not the greatest punt. Pittsburgh is near midfield, ready to roll. Greg Williams, what do you do? He Again, like I said, he reverted back to his regular identity. Lean on your safeties. Lean on the coverage, the middle of the field. Blitzed. Pittsburgh many times, blitzed the quarterback many times. Marcus May made a couple of tremendous plays in man-on-man coverage. Uh, Quarterback had to get rid of it quicker than he wanted to. The last one was Brian Poole, if I'm not mistaken, where the wideout mistimed it, really. Jumped a little too early on fourth down, and that was it. Nickel package for the Jets. Hodges, deep drop. Hodges throws a deep ball, one-on-one. Knocked away! James Washington, the intended target. Marcus May, in coverage, makes the play for New York. Boy, watch the hands. That left hand by May pulls it away from the two hands of James Washington. Spectacular play by Marcus May. And it brings up Fourth down. Hodges thought he had him. 44 seconds left. Here's your ball game for Pittsburgh. Can they keep it alive? Hodges drops it. Hodges tosses downfield. Incomplete Juju Smith-Schuster. And the Jets will shock the Steelers. Went right through the hands of Smith-Schuster. He got behind Poole. Heck of a job by Hodges to even get this ball out of there. And he got to think that the time off with the injury to his knee affected that last play for Pittsburgh. Steelers have no timeouts remaining. The Jets will take the field and take a knee. Jets are now 6-9 and nine, heading to Buffalo. And, you know, quotes already out this week. Um, Jamal wants this one. He feels like the team isn't too far away, and they really aren't. They they just need an infrastructure, like I've been talking about for years. Uh, You know, this is the reason why I didn't want Le'Veon Bell. There's no point in Le'Veon Bell if your offensive line can't do the job. His yards per carry this year is 3.2. Maybe it climbed to 3.3 recently. 
if you ever need any more evidence that it's up that the rushing game and the running back is completely dependent on the offensive line, you're a fool. All you need to see is what happened to Le'Veon Bell this year. That's it. And yeah, age 27 is old for a running back in today's NFL. It is. Sorry. It is. Especially running back. It's old for it. It's older for any player in the NFL. You know, you know how rare it is. You see guys who are still playing well into the 30s. That is rare. Rare, rare, rare compared, you know, when you think about the whole pool. But people just think, oh, you know, this guy plays well into his 30s, 31, Adrian Peterson. No, that's a, that's a freak. Something's going on there. It's very, very rare. You look at the rushing leaders, it doesn't... Gurley's an old man already. How old is Todd Gurley? It's just, you know, this is why. They got to, they just got to improve their infrastructure. And once they do that, I mean, folks... If the injuries didn't happen this year and the Jets were blessed with the Baltimore Ravens offensive line and say the Pittsburgh Steelers front four, they could have won a division. That's reality. If they had the Baltimore Ravens offensive line, Darnold doesn't get mono, Anunwa doesn't get hurt, Herndon doesn't get hurt, uh, the defense has Watt and Dupree, on the outside, Mosley doesn't get hurt. They could have been a playoff team. They could have they could have contended for a division, even with their, you know, not so hot cornerbacks. So, Joe Douglas, I really do think Joe Douglas knows what he's doing. Um, and and I think you'll see it. I think he's going to force the issue with the offensive line. And it's about time someone did. Because you can't just keep walking through a football life without understanding football units needed need to be complete first. Before you could start worrying about best available player and, you know, drafting whatever you want. you got to force the issue. And picking around the ninth, 10th, 11th spot, there'll be plenty of tackles there. So... I'd be, I'd jump off a bridge if Joe Douglas didn't take a tackle in the first round. Um, a little caveat, if, it, if there's a great edge rusher there, maybe he goes edge rusher. But knowing Joe Douglas, it's tackle. And um, speaking of corner real quick, we'll hit on this. The play before the end of the half, Bless Austin got benched. Interestingly... Yeah, at first, I thought Greg Williams might have did the wrong thing. Nine seconds left, trying to defend, played aggressive, trying to defend field goal uh, distance, not let the field goal be a little easier. But turns out it was a it was a three cloud, which means bless Austin. They rotated to the strong side, to the trip side. Bless Austin is responsible for a deep third, along with Marcus May in the middle and Adams on the other sideline. Bless Austin cannot allow that receiver behind him. We're going to hit on that piece of film too. But bless Austin, let he, he didn't look quick on that play, man. He let that receiver behind him. He got benched. Uh, Leberfeld, Dan Leberfeld, asked Gase about it after the game. It was the perfect question. And uh, Gase, we don't know if he knew the coverage or not. Or why... 
he was benched because, listen, Gase is the coach of the offense. Greg Williams is the coach of the defense. This new NFL, that's how it works. It's, I'm not a huge fan of it, but that's how it works across this landscape. Technically, Adam Gase is the coach of the whole team. In reality, he's the coach of the time management and the offense. And Greg Williams has complete control of the defense. But bless Austin, messed up. He cannot allow, he could allow anything underneath him. He could allow a 15-yard out. He could allow a 25-yard comeback somehow off a scramble. But he cannot allow anybody, especially that receiver behind him in his deep third zone. And he did. And he got benched, and Kennedy came in and played decently well. But credit Greg Williams. He was the man of the hour for that game. Uh, You know, it wasn't a tremendous challenge. The Pittsburgh offense isn't that great. Uh, Also, their center got hurt early on. The strength of the Pittsburgh offense is that offensive line. And once that center got hurt, it it was trouble. Offensively, Sam Darnold is inconsistent. And don't blame Gase. It's not Adam Gase's fault. You know, I did a video that a couple months ago that Darnold's the Darnold regression was real. It was. The the Pats game, the Ghost game, the issues with the offensive line, he was regressing from his point of return at Dallas. When you look at this, with the overall stats and the overall play from last year, his stats are up a tick. He, at times this year, he has regressed. Right now, he's very inconsistent. Don't blame it on Gase. There are many factors. Gase, the offensive line, McCagnan, the lack of weapons. How many times do these weapons fail to get open? You know, he's not playing with uh, Jerry Rice and, and John Taylor here. And Brent Jones. Throw Brent Jones in there as well. Roger Craig. Let's, we we can do this all night. It's not just one person. It's Darnold himself. He's got it. He's got a lip. It's so hard to evaluate the guy without speaking to him on a day-in, day-out basis to see what he understands about defenses, to see how he reacts to certain things and knowing what his plan is offensively. So again, stick with this. It's not all Gase's fault with Darnold. The kid has a lot of uh, onus on himself. Um, But there's a lot of inconsistencies there. He has all the tools. Will it come to fruition? It starts with Joe Douglas in the draft this offseason, and uh, we'll see what happens in Buffalo this Sunday. I'll be there. Um, we'll see. Good defense. Buffalo, McDermott already said he's not going to sit a lot of guys. So Bills Mafia will be out. Josh Allen, pretty solid game against the Pats. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Till next time.